Okay, so we started going through the creation week last time and got as far as day three when God made all the plants and vegetation on the earth. And it's even more interesting that He made them the day before He made the sun. So He made plants and they didn't have any sunshine yet, which, um, which is what makes plants grow. So for anybody who thinks that they can insert Darwinian evolution into Genesis... And by somehow just cramming billions of years in there somewhere, you know, making a day of a billion years or whatever it is that you might try to do, you also have to completely rewrite the book of Genesis. You can't just cram time in there. You have to reorganize the entire thing. It's impossible to logically make creation and evolution go together. So although there are people who claim to believe both, the truth is that they're like water and oil. They just don't mix. And, and, and actually, they're, they're probably more like a human being and Frosty the Snowman. One of them is a real creation of God, and the other is a man-made story that people like to pretend came to life by magic. And uh, it, so it ought to be pretty obvious. If you believe in the Bible, like I do, when, when God created the plants, they couldn't sit around in the dark for billions of years because plants need sunshine to live. And so it should be easy to abandon Darwin's attempts to remove God from the equation of how we got here. And if you really trust God and believe what He says and take His Word at face value, then you understand that it's no big deal for God to make the plants and then for them to sit overnight until He made sunshine the next day so they could enjoy that warmth and uh, photosynthesis for the first time. And science... If you really think about it, science the, it, science basically means knowledge. Science is an investigation. The process of science is just investigating. That's all it is. It's a tool. And when you, it makes more sense when you base your hypotheses, if you understand the scientific method where you, you have a hypothesis, so you think, you wonder, is this how it works? And so you have a hypothesis. I think this is how it works. So I'm going to test it to see if it works out. And if it doesn't, my hypothesis is wrong. If it does, my hypothesis is right. And so you'll find that I think in science makes so much more sense when you base your hypotheses, your, your questions to investigate on the Word of God. If you look at the Bible and say, I think the world works the way God says it works, and then you do your scientific investigation based on that. It seems to make, and that's the way that so many of the founding fathers of science, the people, the early scientists who kind of created the fields of science that we have today, so many of them were Christians. And that's the, the idea that they had. They said God made the world. It makes sense. It goes with the Bible. That's what the Bible says so. Let's start investigating to see why He made it the way He did. How it works the way He made it. And, and so that's how science was invented. Then as, as you investigate creation, as you use that method and test and learn about things and, and, and get results and, and study the world around us and the universe and that kind of thing, you find reason and order and logic and design behind it all, the way things are made and how everything works together so that life can thrive on the planet. And, and you can answer the tough questions. Like when somebody asks how we got here, you don't have to stand around looking stupid and say, I don't know how we got here. You can say, yeah, I know exactly how we got here. God made us. He said, let there be. And there was all this stuff. He formed the first people with His own hands and breathed life into into the nostrils. And so you can give an answer that fits the plethora of evidence that we're surrounded by in the universe. 
And I think I mentioned last time how much more believable biblical creation is than everything, you know, you think of everything around us appearing for no reason and just turning into everything that we know for, for without anything driving it. That that kind of, that's just a ridiculous idea because it it and the the only reason is that that you have such a theory is because it gives people an excuse a convenient excuse to write off the warning of conscience when they sin against their Creator. That's the reason Darwinian evolution was invented. Darwin wasn't the first guy to have those kinds of thoughts. And uh, in reality, even the plants that God made on day three, we think of plants as kind of simple things, you know, especially compared to, to life in, in animals and bugs and people, that kind of stuff. Plants seem a lot more simple, but even plants are exquisitely complex. They are built with the same DNA. God uses the same genetic coding in order to form plant life. And He uses to grow and reproduce all living things that we have investigated with, with DNA. Um, and it's a chemical language, basically. It's, a, it's information written in chemical form is what DNA is. And so God created this system whereby you could the language that we're built with, the, the plans that God uses to, to design, to draw up our bodies, you know, and plant bodies and animal bodies and all those things, that it's decoded by biological machines. It's read and transcribed into blueprints by biological machines, and, and those blueprints are then turned into protein structures that, are, that wrap themselves up, that these biological machines, they put together all these chemicals, and the chemicals are so well designed that they just wrap themselves into the thing that they're supposed to be in. And it's all this biological mechanics that are going on at this microscopic level inside a cell. And, and all these little pieces come together to build the parts of the cells. And the cells come together to build us. And we come together to build the things that we build. I mean, it's amazing how all this stuff works. But it all comes out of this information system that's read and, and transcribed and translated and things that are built on a microscopic level by these amazing biological machines. When Darwin was alive, it was a long time ago that Darwin was alive, and people didn't really know much about cellular structure. They thought that cells were basically just kind of gelatinous bricks that are just filled with goo so that we'd have some sort of structure that was movable. And they didn't know that anything else was in a cell, you know, maybe a spot that they called the nucleus. But otherwise, they really didn't know about cellular mechanics. Now we know that a living cell, when you look at it, it's a lot more like a city, like a living city that's jam-packed. It's, it's populated by this vast number of amazing specialized machines, like a robot city. And there's tons. and I mean, it's more complicated than the space shuttle. It's really, it's like a city interworking in all these different machines that have their specialized jobs and they work together to produce and maintain living things, plants, animals, people, bugs, you name it, fish, birds, and the living bodies that we have. It's all created by these amazingly complex microscopic cells that we'll never see with our own eyes. I mean, we can see it with microscopes. but And then there's some parts that we can't even see with microscopes. They're too small that happen on the, on the atomic level. That just blows my mind. And scientists are still trying to figure out how some of it works, but... And, and God made it happen by speaking it into existence. He said, let there be vegetation. And all the different kinds of vegetation sprang up on the earth. 
And it's amazing that God, He created reality by the power of His will. He thought it, He spoke it, and it happened. And it's just, and that's Genesis uh, chapter 1 at verse 12. It says, The land produced vegetation, the land obeyed the Lord. So the land produced vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with a seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And what's kind of sad to think about is the fact that the earth obeys God. God says the universe obeys God. God says it. The universe says, okay, God, that's what it'll do. And, and the wind and waves follow his bidding. Wasn't that interesting when Jesus calmed the storm and the disciples were like, who is this guy that even the wind and the waves obey him? And the plants obey God. When God says, appear, the plants appear and they grow. God, and they, and it's just the way God designed them with seeds so they can reproduce on their own and, and, and send out seedlings and saplings and all sorts of things that they need to, to grow. And the, the plants obey God. But people, often don't seem to have the brains to obey God the way everything else does and <laughs> to do what's good for them. I mean, when the universe obeys God, that's the best thing that is for it. I mean, it's everything works best when it does what God says. And people would work best if we did what God said. But a lot of times, people don't seem to do what God says, even though that's what's best for us. So, of course, plants are part of a bigger system. I mean, plants are an integral part. Plants build their structure out of the carbon dioxide in the air. So it's good that we have carbon dioxide in the air because the plants need it in order to grow. Pretty much every, all the structure that you see in plants, even the giant redwood trees, are made out of carbon dioxide that they took out of the air. A lot of times we think it's the dirt. The dirt supplies some micronutrients, but most of their structure comes from the CO2 in the air that they strip off the oxygen and use the carbon to build their structures. So it's amazing to think that all the plants that you see are built out of air. So they're part of a bigger system because they need the air and they need the sunshine. And I don't know why the government wants to try to tax us for creating CO2 because if we didn't have CO2, we wouldn't have plants and we wouldn't have oxygen, therefore, and we'd all die. So... um, they create the oxygen that we breathe. They create the food that we eat. All the food that we eat comes from plants. Even if you're not a vegetarian, the animals that you eat comes from the plants. I mean, they, they eat the vegetables so that we can then eat the vegetables through them. So everything that's, that we need in our system comes from plants. And so, you know, I, I know why the government wants to tax us. That's a no-brainer. But... The next thing you know, they'll be taxing businesses that produce water vapor. Water vapor is the biggest greenhouse gas on the world by far. It it outdoes CO2 and methane and everything else combined. There's more water vapor than everything. And water vapor is a huge greenhouse gas. Without water vapor, we'd all burn to death. It's good we have the clouds and and it creates the hydrological cycle because the water evaporates out of the ocean and creates the rains and the rivers and the icebergs and all that. We need all that stuff. We need a greenhouse effect. And so God made all this stuff. He created this whole system. He designed this out of His wisdom so it would all work together so that everything for the system was in place. The air was there. The water was there. The earth was there. He put it all together and then He added the plants and all He needed to do was put some sunlight in there and He created that on the very next day. In verse 14 it says, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them be signs to indicate seasons and days and years. 
and let them serve as lights in the expanse of the sky to give light to the earth. It was so. The universe obeyed God. God made two great lights, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night. He made the stars also. And God placed the lights in the expanse of the sky to shine on the earth, to preside over the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Now obviously we base our whole system of time on the sun and the moon. Our calendar, our clocks, everything is based on a trip around the sun marks one year for us. And we divide that up into 365 revolutions so that we have days. As the planet spins in circles at 1,000 miles an hour, no less, we're spinning at about 1,000 miles an hour right now. So fasten your seatbelts. But we watch the sun rise and sunset over and over again as the earth spins. And, and we divide our day up into hours. But the language that Scripture uses to talk about this seasons, you know, it says marks out the seasons and the days and the years. It also alludes to the, the holy days. Like the, if the Hebrew language kind of gives this allusion to, to the holy days and to the tent of meeting, to the tabernacle. And so it's like God not only set it so that we would have a good calendar, a good clock to set our, you know, our days by, so we know when to get up and go to work and when to go to bed, but it's also so that we would know, you know, when the seventh day was, so that we could rest, so that we would know when the month, the, well, so the Jews who were escaping the Egyptians when they first put those system of holidays into effect, that they would know this is when this holiday, because all their months were based on the moon. When the moon appeared for the new moon, that was the first day of the month. And they would follow the moon cycle for the, till the next month. And so they would know this is the month of whatever and the holiday, the holy day that we're supposed to recognize falls on this day of this month. So God set those lights in the sky so that the people would know this is when we're supposed to be honoring God. This is the right day because God set the lights in the sky. And so that's part of the reason he placed the objects in space to move around at regular rates you know, the moon goes around every 28 days. We go around the sun every 365 and a quarter days that, that it's all, every year it's the same. You know, it might be within a millisecond or two, but every year it happens over and over again. And, and so God set these and, and people would know the day is approaching when we're supposed to go to the temple. The day is approaching when we're supposed to make a sacrifice. We, and as a matter of fact, the, you know, if you remember, how did the Magi know when the Messiah was supposed to be born? A star told them. And, and it's not over yet. Uh, how will we know when God's final judgment is coming? The sun will turn dark, the moon will turn blood red, and the stars will disappear from the sky. God still has things to show us through the heavenly bodies that He placed in the sky. And He's going to do, I don't know what kind of amazing works He's going to do, but we're going to see God's judgment coming in the sun and the moon and the stars. So, God is still marking the seasons with the sun and the moon and the, and the stars thousands of years later. And it's not, it's not just so that we have a clock. It's also so that we know what God is doing in the world. And, and you've probably heard how perfectly our solar system is made, is set up in order to make life possible. If we were just 1% one, if, if we we closer to the sun, we would burn up. If we were just 1% farther from the sun, we'd all freeze to death. The whole planet would be just a frozen block of ice. And if, if, the, if the earth wasn't tilted, the earth has, all the other planets are pretty much straight up and down. The earth has this little tilt to it that it spins on. 
And that allows us, so that if it wasn't that way, the equator would burn up and the, the, where we are would be frozen. But since there's that little tilt, we get these summer and winter cycles so that it's a balance of temperatures and the, and the whole earth is kind of warmed evenly and we have these huge places where we can live and be comfortable. And so, and that's, and if it wasn't for the moon, we couldn't hold that tilt. The moon helps us to hold that tilt rather than straightening out again because of the sun. So the moon's gravity keeps us at the right tilt so that we get the summer and the winter and we get these seasons as the years go by. So it's kind of neat how God designed this whole system. And, and so not only do the, the sun and the moon and the stars mark the seasons, they create them. If it wasn't for the sun and the moon, and we wouldn't have seasons and we'd all be dead. So it's kind of nice that we have those things. And, and here's something you probably didn't know about the sun. We still, don't, we still don't really know how it works. We know that there's, it's a nuclear reactor is basically what the sun is. And, and the, the sun works by nuclear fusion. So it takes hydrogen atoms and it smashes them together and pushes them so hard so that they basically have a nuclear explosion which creates helium, it leaves helium, and then all the other energy is, is sent off as heat and light. So we know that there's, there's hydrogen fusion that works in the sun, and we can actually create that in the, uh, in, on Earth. We can create fusion. We've done it before, and it takes immense heat. As a matter of fact, it takes heat that's many times hotter than the sun in order to create fusion. So people... Scientists wonder, how does the sun create fusion? Because it's not that hot. It's not as hot as we need to actually create fusion. How does it work? Well, remember I talked about the quantum physics last week. I'm sure you guys all remember all the details about that. There's this interesting thing in quantum physics where, you know, I said Schrodinger's cat, they had this thought experiment. They didn't really kill a cat, but they put a cat in a box with a nuclear isotope that would break down, has a half-life, and when it reached the half-life, it would break open a poison vial in this sealed box that you couldn't see in, and you wouldn't know, according to quantum physics, whether the cat was alive or dead. And the way quantum physics works is it says, obviously that doesn't work with a cat, but on a quantum level it says that the cat is both alive and dead at the same time until you open the box and look at it and find out for sure where it's at. And that's the way quantum physics is weird. If I drop this water bottle, the likelihood is it's going to stop at the floor and not go into the basement. Like that. And most of the time when we do that with, with stuff that we usually work with, that's the way it always works. But in quantum physics, there's probability that goes into effect that says sometimes, if you do it enough times, this water bottle, because there's an open space underneath me, will want to go into the basement. And sometimes it will wind up in the basement. On a quantum, on a subatomic level, that these particles every once in a while will go where they're not supposed to go. Sometimes they'll be caught in the middle of the, the, like you'll find electrons in the middle of an atom where they don't belong at all. And so the sun works on quantum physics. So you find these hydrogen atoms that aren't hot enough to be compressed together in order to create fusion. But they do this thing called quantum tunneling where they come together anywhere. There's so many hydrogen atoms in the sun that it, there's enough probability that there's enough reactions where they fuse even though they're not supposed to. Even though it's not hot enough, they still create this fusion that explodes and creates these explosions all over the sun that gives us light and heat. And scientists still don't know why these things tunnel the way they do and break the laws of what we consider, you know, Newtonian physics, where, you know, 
action-reaction, cause and reaction kind of thing. So, so the rub is that we don't know why the sun does what it does. We just know that it does it. And there's, and that's the current understanding. And, and it's all based on probability. And it's certain, and it's, and I mean, when you measure it, that seems to be the way it's happening. And there's a, actually a number of current technologies that use quantum tunneling. It's not just philosophy. It actually, if you've got a, a touch screen on your smartphone, a pressure sensitive touch screen, that uses quantum tunneling to work. If you've ever used a thumb drive, a flash drive that's just sticking in your computer to erase information off of those, they use quantum tunneling. They still don't know how it works. We just know that it works. And so they're trying to figure it out. And I, and, and the only way that the sun can keep burning is through this quantum physics. And, and if it simply burns, you know, if it burned a fuel, kind of like you burn gas in your car or wood on a fire, it would have burned out thousands of years ago. But because it uses the, the method that it uses, the sun continues to burn a nice steady rate producing the same. You know, most stars out in the universe that we investigate, they change their temperatures. They get hotter and colder at random. The sun is this nice, steady warmth that keeps us the right temperature all year long. I mean, it's amazing how the sun works. And, and, and I suspect that the more we investigate, if we have the time before the Lord comes back to figure out more about these subatomic particles, that as we investigate, we will find more and more exquisite, exquisiteness in their design and their interworkings and their relationships, just like everything else we find in creation. The more we investigate and the smaller that we can look and the bigger that we can look with telescopes and microscopes, the more we are able to study what God has made, the more exquisiteness we find, the more beauty we find in the way He's created things and the way things interlink and work together. So God just said, let there be, and this happened. God said, let there be a sun, let there be a moon, and then as if it's no big deal, let there be stars too. Just to light the night sky and make it pretty for people to look. When they go out at night and they look up at the stars and they say, oh, that's so beautiful. God just said, let there be. And hundreds of billions, more than we can count, stars just appeared across the, the scope of the universe. And God said, let it happen. And this massive complex nuclear reactor that we call the sun appeared and started working driving the hydrological cycle on earth photosynthesis so the plants could survive making wind currents and ocean currents to keep fresh air coming and and giving you a nice tan on the beach if you want that and 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 he did it with style i mean you look up in the sky because god made the the atmosphere the way he did we get a nice blue sky in the daytime and we get the nice clear view of the galaxy at the night so we can see the stars and then the sunset comes you get those purples and pinks and oranges i mean god said let there be not just for function but he put form in it too he put this beautiful form in the way that the earth works so that we see all these wonderful colors in what god designed and we have an amazing i mean that the night sky changes all the time you get different views of the moon and the stars keep as the world spins you get different views of the stars it's amazing what god did and what's fun to think about is that god has been labeling each section of creation day all uh, as a day all along before there was the sun you know we measure the day by the sun but before that came god said that there was evening and morning that was the first day was day 1 the second day was day 2 he said when he each section that he did this is that day and the next section he did on a particular day so before the earth was formed before the sun and the moon were made god said for each step there was evening and there was morning 
day one and day two and day three and so on. So before the earth was set to spinning and the sun, so that the sun and moon could shine on it, there was reference for evening and morning. So before we had a sun up and a sundown, there was evening and there was morning. And there's some conjecture as to the points of a deeper meaning behind those words. Today, we know evening and morning is the time when it starts. Evening is when it starts to get darker. The sun's disappearing over the horizon and it's starting to get you know, less light out, so you can't see as much. And then morning is when the reverse happens. The sun comes back up again and it starts to get brighter and brighter and we can see. And it's, it's hard to say because this is very early Hebrew language, but there's conjecture that it's possible that what these words meant very early on that evening meant entropy and morning meant order. If you know what entropy is, it's the breaking down of all things. That, that's, that we know that everything in the universe basically breaks down over time. And part of the reason things are breaking down on the earth is because of sin. But entropy is, could be what was meant by evening. That there was entropy and then God said, let there be and there was order. So there was evening when, before God went to work, and there was because the Hebrew day starts at evening and ends at the the next day at evening. So they start when it starts to get dark. So there was entropy before God said, "Let there be." He went through the day, said, "Let there be," and created all these amazing things. And there was order. And the next day, he started at the level where there was a little bit, you know, there he built on each day. Obviously, there was the most entropy at the beginning. And God said, let there be, and there was more order by the end of day one. By the end of day two, there was even more order. By the end of day three, there was more order until he got to day six when he had everything ordered, and so we had the most order in the universe. So it's kind of the opposite of what we see now. Today, we see things breaking down and falling apart, but when God created, we saw th- he saw things being built up and put together and ordered. And so, okay, so God defined what a day would be, and then he put heavenly bodies in there to mark the days that he had already invented. And so we're through day four. We aren't even to the animals yet. It's amazing how much complexity there is. Staggering complexity of systems within systems that all work together. And I could probably spend a month of Sundays going through the details of creation. But we'll keep it simple because we haven't got a lot of time. And uh, day five, God said, verse 20, God said, let there be let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. God created the great sea, the great sea creatures and every living thing, every moving thing with which the water swarmed according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the water in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning a fifth day. And it's interesting that God said, let there be animals according to their kinds. He didn't say, let's start off with a protoplasm. Let's start off with a bacteria and then I'll turn that into something else. No, He just made everything in its order as its kinds from the beginning. So all the different kinds of birds and fish, they just appeared. They obeyed God when He said, let there be. Today we, we seem to know even less about the ocean today, about our own ocean than we do about outer space. And it's because it's, it's, it's easier to build a spaceship that can fly to the moon and back than it is to build a water ship that can go to the deepest parts of the ocean and back and keep people alive in it. And, and yet the seas are teeming with life. It's amazing the kind of life that you find in there. There's even life that they 
where the volcanoes erupt under the ocean and there's these plumes of black smoke. That It's not smoke, but it's black charred stuff that comes out of the ocean and heat that would boil you to death. There's life living around that stuff. In the frozen wastelands, under the ice up in the poles, there's life living under the ice. And it's amazing how much life there is all over the oceans. And, and yet, we're still discovering new creatures. There's things that we come across every once in a while in the ocean that we've never seen before. And the birds, well, the birds are they're still better at flying than people are. Than any of the aircraft that we've ever made, birds still do it better. And we, base, we improve our designs based on what we learn about birds and their abilities. The efficiency and power and maneuverability that birds have is simply amazing. And, and every part of them has been designed specifically for flight. They, they have specialized eyes. They have different kinds of feathers that serve different purposes on their bodies that are all specialized. They have hollow bones. And, and you can go on and on. But you might think that God would be running low on creativity after He made all these amazing creatures, all these birds and all these fish and all this amazing plethora of life that you see in the sky and in the water. But wait, there's more. The next day, on verse 24, God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. Cattle, creeping things, and wild animals, each according to its kind. It was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the cattle according to their kinds, and all the creatures that creep along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Now, an evolutionist will tell you that this all happened all on its own by magic. They don't call it magic, but that's kind of the way it looks. And so some sort of primordial ooze was on the planet and, and it just sprang to life one day and created all this life that we know. Fish and birds and other animals. And hopefully you're, you're smart enough not to buy into that poppycock. But they'll also tell you that it was death that drove life. That it was that The reason that we have all this amazing complexity is because things were dying. And when conditions are tough and there's competition and there's predators that were eating each other, that the only animals who would survive are ones that invented new biological systems to overcome their environment or to get away from predators or to reproduce better. You know, kind of like the X-Men. If you ever watched the X-Men movies or read the comic books, they just kind of developed these new abilities out of nowhere. And that's what scientists say the animals were doing. They just developed these new abilities so they could survive. They'll also tell you at the same time that this process takes millions of years, billions of years to take place so that the animals that started inventing these new systems so that they could survive their environment or overcome predators or whatever, they did, that they would have to start thinking about it and then put it in their will for their children to also keep working on it and their grandchildren to keep working on it and their great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren and so on and so forth so that they could keep working on it and pass this process down through millions of generations until they were finally adapted for whatever it was that they started adapting for millions of years prior to that. So for example, if you would like to be able to fly, first thing you do is jump off a cliff. And you tell your kids to jump off a cliff after you. And then your grandkids, when they're born, have to jump off a cliff. And their great-grandkids and great-great-grandkids and so forth until one day, one of the millions of years in the future, one of those distant descendants will finally sprout wings and be able to fly instead of just smashing themselves to bits on the rocks below. 
Makes perfect sense, right? That's how evolution is supposed to work. God's Word puts it a little bit differently. If you'll notice, at the end of each day, it says that God looked at what He had made and He saw that it was good. And, and, and it's like God made something and He said, oh, I like that. Oh, that's nice. That, oh, that's perfect. I am good. This is great. I mean, it's God made things that I really like this. And He made some more. I really like that too. And, and so all of creation was good. And there was no death and there was no disease, and there was no sickness, and there were no predators eating each other, there was no suffering, there was no competition for scarce resources, because there was plenty for everything that was alive. All of God's creatures lived in perfect harmony. It was, it was all just the way that you would expect God to make something. Perfect. But God still wasn't done. I know it's hard to believe. What else could God make besides all that stuff? But just wait till you hear what God made next. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, after our likeness. So they, and when you hear our, that's the same way like if the Queen of England speaks about herself, she says us and our. So it's like a royal our. And God's our, as we, based, we know, based on that Jesus and, and the Father and the Holy Spirit were our part of this Godhead. And so He said, Let us make humankind like us and so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air over the cattle and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move on the earth and god created humankind in his own image in the image of god he created them male and female he created them and this is why god made everything else that he had made up to this point Everything that he put into place, the stars, the universe, the planet, the water, the air, the birds, the fish, the animals, all that stuff was leading up to people. God made all that he had made in order for us to have a perfect environment to live in. He created it all for us to have a home. Sadly, it didn't last. You probably heard that Adam and Eve turned their backs on God. They sinned against him and and that perfect life that he offered them and and for a while, everything was the way it was meant to be. For, for We don't know how long because it doesn't tell us how long Adam and Eve lived in this perfect environment before they finally sinned. But for a while, it was, it was beautiful. It was exactly the way it was. And, and in spite of the mess that people have made down through the years as they continue to sin, and, and you know, people have caused a big mess on the planet because of sin. Sin destroys. Sin kills. Because, and, and even you know, things like earthquakes and fires and, and tornadoes all come out of that time when God struck the earth with a flood and it had messed up the whole system. And there's, so there's a lot of mess because people sin and bring death into the system. And in spite of that, there's still a lot of remaining beauty. There's a lot of beauty still left on the planet. We look out and we see this beautiful stuff. And it'll be interesting to see what it's like when God comes back and remakes everything the way it's supposed to be. How much more beautiful it is. And as much as creation groans, like the Bible tells us, for Jesus to come back and make everything right again. We can still see God's fingerprints all over everything. We can still see the complexity and the beauty and the order and the beautiful detail that God made everything with. So God had everything ready. He prepared the universe. He prepared the world, the planet for us. And He told Adam and Eve to live their lives in their freshly made home. And they were supposed to start having kids and to be stewards of everything else on the planet. That they were in charge of the animals and the fish and the birds. They were to rule over all that. And verse 28 says, God blessed them and said to them, 
Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I now give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the entire earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the animals of the earth and to every bird of the air and to all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. So the world was created vegetarian, which might be scary for some of you who love bacon so much, but, but I'm, I'm assuming that things even tasted better back then. So this plethora of, of vegetables and fruits that God made didn't taste the way some of our vegetables taste today. But God had thought of everything. He, every system was finely tuned. Everything was just the way He had planned. All the I's were dotted and the T's were crossed. And now it was time to sit back and relax and enjoy and take a well-deserved day off. Not that God needed a day off, but when you finish a big project, don't you want to step back and just enjoy what's come from the work that you've done? And that's what God did. On verse 31, He said, God saw that all He had made, and it was not just good, it was very good. It was perfect. It was, a, it was the best system that there could be for people to be able to enjoy their, their existence. And it says there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So last week I asked you to think about why God made things this way. Why He did things the way He did. Why do we have a physical body at all instead of being spiritual like God or, or like the angels are? Um, why, what's the purpose behind so much of this intricate complexity and, and beauty? And think about your brain. Isn't it interesting that you can think about your brain? Supposedly the thing that's doing the thing. You, you can consider your own... It, Secular scientists still haven't figured the brain out. They don't know why a wrinkly gray lump inside your skull can create memories and, and can feel things like love or imagine things that have never existed before. They don't know why we have consciousness to be able to think about ourselves the way we do. Of course, we know it's because God made us in His image. And so we have the abilities that God gave us to to think and to create and to imagine and to invent. God made us in His image so we have those characteristics like God does. And, and they say that we only use about 10% of our brain's capacity. Imagine what it might be like if you had 100%. Well, I mean, how much more you could think and imagine. Paul said, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became an adult, I set aside childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror indirectly. But then, when we go to the Lord, we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known. Is that what it was like for Adam and Eve before they introduced sin into the system? To have 100% capacity to be fully known and to know fully the God who had made them? To, the way, to, to have a brain the way God intended? How much smarter were our ancestors? You know, A lot of people think of them as dumb cavemen. But how much smarter were our ancestors with perfect brains and perfect bodies before they messed it all up down through the generations with sin? And is your brain, is it, does it really even have anything to do with who you are as an individual? Because our brains are going to be destroyed someday and then God's going to give us new bodies with new brains. So is your brain more like just a, a, a physical wireless modem that connects your soul to the spiritual reality of God's kingdom? 
Is that why there's so much unused portion? Because we haven't fully, we've disconnected ourselves with sin and we're still waiting for God's return to, to remake everything and make it better. Who knows? Whatever it is, it's mind-blowing. And you are set apart from all the rest of creation, from every other creature that God made, from everything else, to be able to think about yourself. To be able to, unlike all those other creatures and all the other systems of creation, you have freedom. You have the freedom to choose. Regardless of what government says, they can tell you what you should do, but you get to choose yourself what you're going to do. You make up your own mind who you're going to be, the direction of your, your existence. You can chart your own destiny. You can commit your life to your Creator and decide you're going to follow Jesus and, and, and come to know His love and His grace and ultimately spend all eternity in God's presence. You can choose that. You can be with Jesus or you can choose to reject God. You can choose to reject His morality and His kindness and, and eventually be set apart from all the good things that He created. You get to decide what you're going to do. And this life, this existence, this environment that we live in, now is your chance to make that choice. That's why you're here. That God created all this. You get to live your own life. It's your life to do with what you want. You get to consider the all options, to decide where you're going to go. You get to choose whether to believe the truth of God and His goodness or to reject all that and make up your, you know, make up your own story. And there, there, may, there, there have been many people who have exchanged the truth for a lie, who have decided to follow their own thing, who worship the things that God has made instead of God Himself. Some people worship the stars and say we all came from stardust and, and life just sprang into being and, and that's the way we are. And they worship themselves. Or, or others worship what they call natural selection and pretend that we, were, we came out of death and decay and that I'm better than everything else because death and decay somehow made me who I am. Some people even worship the earth or nature as if it was our mother. Truly, as if that, as if the planet somehow had its own will to create life, and that's where we came from. I mean, people really believe that stuff. People really buy into that, and I think it. I think it that it just may be why we exist in the universe that we live in. That it not only does it demonstrate God's work. I mean, this this amazing beauty and complexity and design that God has. Not only does it demonstrate who God is, just by existing but it also allows humanity a probation period. The, the, a chance to pick a side without destroying the kingdom. That we can live in this existence, in this physical presence, and decide what we're going to do before we mess up what God really has for us. That we have this temporary home so that we can decide whether we want to have God's home or go to hell. And we get to make that choice while we're living in this existence. God put it this way in Deuteronomy. Look, I have set before you today life and prosperity on one hand and death and disaster on the other. What I am commanding you is to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and to obey His commandments, His statutes and His ordinances. Then you will live and become numerous and the Lord your God will bless you in the land in which you are about to possess. However... If you turn aside and do not obey, but are lured away to worship and serve other gods, I, I declare to you this very day that you will certainly perish. You will not extend your time in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Today I invoke heaven and earth as a witness against you that I have set life and death, blessing and curse 
before you. Therefore, choose life so that you and your descendants may live. I also call on you to love the Lord your God, to obey Him and be loyal to Him, for He gives you life and enables you to live. So that's why we're here. That's why we have what we have. That's the reason that, that we exist where we exist. And here's the great thing. Even if you've messed it all up before this point, you've ruined everything. You've destroyed yourself with sin. Even if you've done that, God offers a fresh start through the atoning death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And you can accept His grace and His forgiveness and you can live a brand new life in His mercy and decide to no longer be apart from Him, but from this point forward, you're going to live with Him. And He offers that freedom to everyone. You repent today and live in God's truth and He'll wipe the slate clean, He says. And since we all ultimately, everybody, whether they're churchgoers or not, everybody ultimately knows the truth about where we came from and why we are here. Because the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies declare His handiwork. And, and since He's planted eternity into our hearts and He's written His law on our consciences, the decision of what you do with that truth is up to you. My advice, choose life and see just how good God is. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You so much for everything You've designed that it does. It points to an amazing God. And we are so sorry for the amount of people who turn away from that, who deny that wonderful truth, who deny all the evidence around us that points to such a wonderful and amazing and loving God. God, help us to know You for who You are, to see You for the truth of Your existence and to see the truth of why we're here and to be able to turn our lives around and love You and live for You and find Your grace and Your happiness and Your joy. Lord, help us to honor You with our lives. Help us to honor this creation that You've, that you've placed us in to be good stewards of it, to be good stewards of our own bodies and our environment, Lord. But most of all, help us to honor You, to love You and to obey You so that we can spend eternity in Your joy and in Your peace and in Your beauty. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.